Welcome to the Odyssey Podcasts. This is Jean Cavellos, Director of Odyssey. Odyssey is an intensive six-week workshop for writers of fantasy, science fiction, and horror whose work is approaching publication quality and for published writers who want to improve their work. Odyssey is held each summer on the campus of St. Anselm College in Manchester, New Hampshire. Adult writers from all over the world apply. Only 16 are admitted. Top authors, editors, and agents serve as guest lecturers. For more information, visit www.odysseyworkshop.org. Podcast 65 is an excerpt from a lecture by Lane Robbins at Odyssey 2012 on information dissemination. The text of this recording is copyright 2012 by Lane Robbins. The sound recording is copyright 2012 by Odyssey Writing Workshops Charitable Trust. Today I want to talk about uh, information dissemination. And I do lots of critiquing, and this is one of the things that can sort of make or break a story or a book. Because books stories, they all require plotting, they require characterization, they require, you know, writing skill. But it really all comes down to one thing, which is can you communicate your ideas to the reader? And stories are kind of a balancing act, because you're constantly rousing and satisfying your reader's curiosity. You're raising questions, you're answering them, you're raising new questions each time you answer one. And you want to keep that pacing kind of smooth. If you do it right, people just keep reading and they're the books that you can't put down. You know, oh my god, I have to keep reading this. If you do it wrong, they'll be more inclined to put it down. They'll be more inclined to not pick it up again once they've put it down. So the information is obviously the who, what, why, how, when, where, blah, blah, blah of your world, your story, your characters, pretty much everything. It's in everything. It's in how you tell the setting. It's in how you block the action in your really important action scenes. It's the way you direct the reader's attention. You want to make them ask questions. You want to make them ask the right questions. If you raise a question, you need to be aware of what that question is doing in the reader's head. With fantasy, it gets scarier because we have, I mean, in a normal book, just getting information across to the reader is daunting because you have character, you have plot, you have to get across the setting, you have to get across all this stuff. And it can be a lot of information. I mean, it just Google flexes, is that a word? Of information. And then you add fantasy into it and you add in, you can't just say, they went to a chain restaurant because that's not enough information on the fantasy world. I'm sure there were chain restaurants in fantasy land. Um, so you have to build everything. You have to build it all, and they all have to work. Your information has to move seamlessly with each other so that you don't build a world where you're contradicting yourself because that kind of thing will also start nagging at the reader. If it's a small thing, if it's a big thing, they'll say, what is going on here, and get really aggravated. Um, there are different ways to deal with it, and that's sort of what I'm going to talk about today. But you do have a lot. Of, uh, I think we were talking about character a little bit, and you can build this whole biography of the character before you start the book. At the very least, you want to know 
their basic age, their gender, their race, whatever you're dealing with, you want to know their likes, dislikes, their fears, their needs, and what's oppressing them at the moment. And that's a lot to just immediately put on the page, but those are the kind of things you really do want right up front. I like to think of it in, I think things very visually, because that is the way my brain works. And I tend to think of character, it blooms throughout the book. So you're going to start off with some basic character information, you know, the who they are, just flat out fact, like your character's receptionist, that might be important for people to know who they are, what they're doing, blah, blah, blah. Just the basic, like the, the okay cupid outline of them. And it's a small amount of information. And as the story progresses, <coughs> you're going to learn more and more and more about them. So you end up with this sort of big cone flaring out like a, like a, a bloom, something that's bigger and bigger. Because the more these events happen, the more you're going to need to know how this character's going to react. We're going to learn more about the character as the story progresses. The character's going to learn more about herself as the story progresses. So start smaller with character. You don't necessarily need to get everything on page one. That said, try not to hide information that doesn't need to be hidden. People do that a lot. But yeah, character should basically bloom because by the end of the book you should feel like you've made a new friend or an enemy or at least had a really fascinating conversation with a strange person. Um, when you get to the, the personality that you're putting on the page, you need to sort of pick and choose because you've created this biography, you want to put it all out there. So when you go through and decide what you're going to put on the page, I want you to look at how do we know who this person is right away. You want to do some grounding information. That would be age, gender, whatever is important to you to put on the page to make the character feel real immediately you know, so that we have a little body to look at. Then some of their personality, if they have a really quirky personality, throw in a couple of those so we have something to say, oh, this is the kind of personality they are. Because you want to set that right off the bat. Because otherwise people are going, wait, you know, he was very humorous in chapter one, but now he's making snarky comments in chapter four. And I, I, where did this come from? So you want to put a little of that in there. Um, I'm a really big proponent of getting what the character wants on page one or two, you know, getting it out there right away, that they have a want. It doesn't necessarily have to be the big want of the book, but it has to be something that's driving the reader forward. If you have a character who doesn't want anything, it, it's hard to feel anything for them. And a negative want is not a want. It doesn't work the same way, except in a very few occasions. I mean, if the character is saying, I don't want to be at this job. That's sort of sympathetic, but we don't know what they'd rather do. And so we have this sort of, it's sort of like hanging out with someone who's whining a lot. You want to know, I don't want to be at this job. I would rather be building uh, water slides. I've always wanted to build water slides, and I'm stuck being an accountant. You know, that kind of thing. So let us know what they want. After that, you can start blooming it out more you know, whether they're isolated in the world, whether they have lots of friends, whether they want pets, you know. But you start with some really basic things to give the reader a handle on them and something to excite their interest. If you bloom the character that way, the nice thing about it is then by the time you get to that, that negative dark night of the soul part, you have given 
so much about the character that we're really sympathetic to them. We're really hoping that they're going to overcome this. And you've probably laid in some tools and groundwork to say, this is how they're going to overcome it. You know, that this is what's going to make them say, this is terrible, I can bear it, I'm getting up and I'm going to fight back. And so that's good. You know, you want to have that build and you generally don't want it just to come out of the blue. And then you have world building. <laughs> world building is a little different. It, it's almost, I don't want to say it's the inverse, because this would go through the entire book. So if you've got a book, this is the entire plot of the book. World building starts off big and broad, because you're going to need to set the scene, especially if you're writing fantasy or science fiction that is not contemporary fantasy, contemporary science fiction. If you have a whole world to explore, you need to ground us fairly promptly. And it's going to taper down so that you're going to learn most of it in the first third of the book, and then you're going to learn a little less. And then by this point, by like three quarters mark, there shouldn't be a whole lot of brand new stuff. There can be twists on the stuff you've already told us, because that's great, and that keeps the surprise moving. But you should start off, and by a certain point, we should know the world. We should not be still going, wait. Flowers can bite people on, you know, the climactic battle scene with flowers and biting people. Um, if you wanted to say there is someone wandering around transforming plants or doing something like that, and then, oh, look, here's a specific instance where the flowers are poisonous and biting people, that's okay. But generally, you want the flow of the world ahead of time. And like character, you're probably going to want to start it with some big, broad ideas. Ground the reader again give them a place. So uh, as a small example, the book I'm writing is telling you all that a lot of it takes place in the palace. There is a palace. I don't want to stop on page one and describe the palace, but I also don't want my reader to say, oh, palace, and immediately think um, the fairy tale castle kind of thing. I don't want that look. What I'm looking for is a different type of palace. So. I could stop and describe the whole thing in the beginning, but the problem is information has to flow. And if it was a slower start, I could, and it would be fine. But I'm starting with them dragging the heroine's dying husband who's bleeding all over the place through the palace into the, the bedroom where they're going to try to glue him back together. And there's not a lot of time to say, oh yes, the courtyard is this big. The trees are this big. You know, you, you just don't have that kind of time. So I'm going to give you the really barest setting. I'm going to say, you know, the palace is at the top of the mountain. There are an exterior courtyard that they had to go through, an interior hall, an interior courtyard, and way too many stairs because those are the things she's going to be thinking of. She might notice the blood on the uh, mosaic tiles. So you'll get some idea, and hopefully at the end of it, you'll be thinking more of an open-air Italianate palace than a fairy tale palace. And as the scenes progress, I will define that palace more and more specifically. But I'll start you off with a big image of it. Uh, sort of the same thing with magic. You're going to just give us pieces of it and let it grow, but it's also going to winnow down because it's going to become more and more specific. Like you'll say, they have body magic. They can do just lots of things with their bodies. And you'll see a whole line of it where she'll be putting on her special spells and 
And you'll see what each one can do as she does it, because that's a slow scene. She's getting dressed, basically, in the morning. She's trying to deal with the paperwork of her dead husband, and she's listening to it. So it's a lot slower pace, and I can take the time to put that information out in better detail. So I can say, okay, this is the control mark that she puts on her left elbow, and this is the enhancement mark that she puts on her right shoulder. And I can describe them, and I can describe the ink that she uses and how they work. And I can have her bodyguard saying, you really need to learn how to use these better and giving her a hard time. And so there's still some conflict in the scene. But I'm really getting the magic down. Um, so, you, yeah, you start broad, get the things out of the way, get people grounded, make things make sense. And then you start tapering it down. It, it's really kind of hard when you're writing fantasy short stories and you have 7,000 words or less to get across all of this stuff. So the more you know what information you're going to try to get across the reader, know what information is important to your plot, and control it, the better off you're going to be. If you have to keep stopping and saying, but wait, I need to know this, or this I'm going to... If you can figure it out what you actually have to know and what isn't essential, you'll be a lot better off. You know, this is like uh, choosing relevant and specific details as opposed to just all the details. This is exactly the same thing. It's just on a really big scale for your story. Sometimes there are things you think you need and you don't. And it's hard to let go of it, especially if it's world building and you've invented it because it's sort of your baby. And you say, oh, this is brilliant. I love this. This is wonderful. It's element 29 of an already cluttered book. You just think, well, maybe I'll save it for another book. Maybe it just won't be appropriate here, or maybe some of these other things are not appropriate. How many of you read mystery novels, just for fun? Okay. I recommend them. Find someone who does classic mystery. Um, I like Agatha Christie because she, she doesn't, she doesn't hide things too much. I mean, she, she mostly plays fair. Some of her books she does not. But the thing she does, the thing that mysteries do, especially the classic whodunit type mysteries, they require information to be laid out precisely. And that's information that not only has to be read forward, it has to be read backwards to make sense. And that's really admirable. So if you have problems with the way you lay out information, you might take a look at mysteries and just sort of say, Oh, this is information here, this is information here. Um, because really, in science fiction and fantasy, we're laying out clues of our own. They're just a slightly different type. We're laying out new rules for the world. Um, and we want people to follow along, and then at the end be satisfied that those clues have led to this inevitable conclusion. Plot is another one. You know, character and world are sort of opposite-facing triangles. Plot is sort of a lie detector. It goes up and down because characters are going to consistently learn things throughout the book. So you'll have big sections of information, and then you'll have smaller ones where they're sort of learning and accepting this information and moving on. Again, mysteries are good for that. You know, the character walks up and says, tell me what you know about so-and-so's murder. And they say, blah, 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 blah. And then they have to think, well, is this a lie? Is this true? Is this et cetera? So that will come and go in bursts. I mean, there's just enormous quantities of information we give out, just tons and tons and tons. I mean, we really are writing a biography, we're writing a history, or we're writing 
a series of events and we're expecting it all to blend together. We generally don't want our readers to have to take notes to keep up with us. But we want to include everything, so we have to parcel it out, you know, large, small, most important, to least important. The text of this recording is copyright 2012 by Lane Robbins. The sound recording is copyright 2012 by Odyssey Writing Workshops Charitable Trust.